This is Including You, the new series from Lead at Any Level. Including You features stories from chief diversity officers and other executives who are creating inclusive cultures in their organizations. Our goal is to show what's working in companies just like yours, to give you the tools you need to keep pushing for progress in your own workplace. We want to create belonging and opportunity for everyone, including you. And now here's your host, Amy C. Wanninger. Welcome back to Including You. I'm your host, Amy C. Wanninger, the Inclusion Catalyst. My guest today is Chief Officer Kara Herring. She's the Chief Equity, Inclusion, and Opportunity Officer for the Office of Governor Eric Holcomb in my home state of Indiana. Chief Officer Herring, welcome to the show. Thank you, Amy. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you for having me. It means a lot. I'm excited to talk to you because, number one, and we were talking about this before we hit record, Indiana is not necessarily on the forefront of diversity, equity, and inclusion activity. And number two, I think it might surprise people to know that our governor, our Republican governor, Governor Holcomb, has someone in the position of chief equity, inclusion, and opportunity officer. Can you talk a little bit about why this role is so important to this administration? I just want to really give kudos to Governor Holcomb and his administration for being so forward thinking and mindful as to create this role. They created it in 2020 and um, they did a very competitive search. And I actually was minding my business up in South Bend, Indiana and got a phone call from someone who was serving with the administration and they asked me to consider it. And once I was able to sit down with the governor and his team and hear his heart and the administration's heart for really making sure that we're serving all Hoosiers in the best way possible, all Indiana residents in the best way possible, uh, I was sold. And so I went through the process and I just think that in this day and age, when you're seeing so much divisiveness around DE&I and people politicizing it and using it as a talking point to get votes or as a talking point to rile people up, this administration said, this is not a political thing for us. This is about quality of life. And this is about how we're serving the residents of our state in an equitable way. So let's focus on the data. Let's make sure that we're doing that. Simple as that. And I'm so appreciative for that type of leadership in our state. I am too, as someone who's lived in Indiana almost my whole life. And it's interesting to me, you mentioned serving all of the residents of Indiana. I think a lot of people outside the state don't realize the diversity within the state. We have incredibly rural communities, which is what a lot of people think of when they think of Indiana. But we also have very populated areas with a lot of unique needs. I'm thinking about Indianapolis, South Bend, Gary, Evansville. And then the Louisville suburbs of Jeffersonville, New Albany. And the issues are varied, but there are a lot of overlapping concerns between what we need in, let's say, in the cities, Mm -hmm. in some of these urban areas, things like job creation and accessible Wi-Fi and those kinds of things, to what we need out in the rural areas in terms of job creation and accessible Wi-Fi. So can you talk a little bit about what are some of the unifying themes around the state and what are some of the the variations? Yeah, absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head. Like you're coming in hot. You're right on point with that. And it's one of the reasons why we use the data to drive how we're approaching equity, because some people approach this work thinking only of race, ethnicity, which that's one aspect to consider. But so many times, socioeconomics is what plays a huge part in some of the challenges that you see for communities across the state. So you mentioned 
rural Indiana and access to internet uh, connectivity, access to devices, period, right? In order to actually be able to connect to the internet. And then you look at places like Gary or Fort Wayne or South Bend, and some of those inner city populations are struggling with some of the same exact things. And so you can take a kid from the middle of rural Indiana and a kid from the middle of Gary, Indiana, and they might look different on the outside, but some of those same challenges with housing and access to really good, strong public education or access to jobs and broadband, those things are very similar. And so the way that we've been looking at it through the state is we are a big fan of, in my office, the, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, they have what's called the Social Vulnerability Index. And that social vulnerability index really shows the areas of your state by zip code that highlight where people are struggling with getting access to housing and transportation and good education and health care. Where are the health care deserts? Where are the child care deserts? All of those things that contribute to the social determinants of health and quality of life of an individual, that CDC social vulnerability index number really tells us a lot. And so that's when you find out that a kid from the middle of urban Indiana and a kid from the middle of rural Indiana have some of the same challenges. And then it helps us inform how we address these concerns as a state. Who do we need to partner with? What agencies do we need to lift up in that region of the state? And I will tell you, when you have the data and it tells the story, it's hard to argue with that. When the numbers are telling us that infant mortality is high for certain populations, or there's a challenge with housing, affordable housing with certain populations, the numbers don't lie. When you're using sound numbers that come from really good sources, it's telling you where you need to focus your resources. And we try to lean into that for sure. Now, again, there will be challenges that are unique to black and brown individuals or folks where Spanish is their main, their first language. There are gonna be different challenges for some of those individuals versus some of the folks in rural Indiana that don't look like them, but the quality of life challenges are very similar. So as you're talking about that, I'm wondering what are some initiatives that you've launched mm -hmm. in response to this data? How do you prioritize and, and can you just give us a couple of success stories around what you've done in this? Yeah, role? absolutely. So one of the things that was really important to me coming in was the, the type of relationship, strategic relationship building that we were doing, not only with folks who look like me or look like some of my, I have a very diverse team. I have white people on my team and women and black people. And I had Asian people, one of whom just left and went to another opportunity, but folks with disabilities, we have a very diverse team. And it was important for us to connect with all of those populations, but it was also important to connect with those who didn't see any connectivity with us so that we could start to build strategic relationships. And so that was the first initiative was building relationships so that we could communicate what the work is and what the work is not. Because there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what diversity, equity, and inclusion actually is versus what you've heard in the media and how it's been used as a talking point for different folks. So relationship building was, is, was huge. We've connected with over 400, at this point, 400 stakeholders from different organizations, different individuals from across the state. The second thing, because I have a public relations background, that's what my undergraduate degree is in. I went to law school, but PR is huge. How are we communicating this message across Indiana? So we created a session called Next Level Teams, which is really around creating a culture of inclusion by using three tools, constructive disagreement, compassionate listening, and civility. And that training, which is a 90-minute session, we've done that for close to 6,000 people at this point. 
internal to state government and some of our external partners to talk about how do you approach this work in a way that gets a lot of diverse perspectives around the table without scaring people away. And focusing on civility, constructive disagreement, compassionate listening, and using that to create a culture of inclusion has been huge. And when you have almost 6,000 people go through this and they take a post-training survey, and of those that take the post-training survey, 96% of them said, everybody in the state needs to do this. This is an incredible session that really brings diverse perspectives to the table in a non-intimidating, non-threatening way. And it opens up conversations about differences in a healthy way. That is one of my favorite success stories of what we've been able to do over the last two and a half years. Our, our employees love it. Our external partners love it. But one of the other things that was important with this work for us was we have 30,000 employees in the state, right, for the state of Indiana and the executive branch. We rolled out a climate survey last year that my deputy chief for workforce engagement led. And this climate survey gave us some really important substantive data about how folks are experiencing their work life. In, in the state of Indiana's executive branch. And then Joseph worked with those different agency heads that had all this data to create action plans to say, we heard you, we heard our employees, this is what we're gonna do, whether that's starting with training or whether that's having a consultant come in, whatever that looked like for that agency. Joseph Pinnell, my deputy chief has been working on that. So those were two really important things that had never been done before, this type of training that focuses on those areas and then doing a climate survey, which is different from an, a typical pulse survey or they have the, I think it's like Q12 poll surveys, all those types of things. It's really different from that because it digs into identity and how you show up and can you be your authentic self that has given us some really good data to start to, to run with these initiatives on how we can start to shift culture. So those are just two things. There's quite a few others externally, but I don't, we got a lot of other questions to cover. <laughs> no, I appreciate that so much. And I just want to point out that if this can work in a state like Indiana, which people have a lot of ideas about the state, some of them are, are if it can work in a place like Indiana, it can really work anywhere. It's That's about right. fitting fitting the approach to meet the needs of the constituency. Absolutely. And I feel, and this is not a knock to diversity practitioners anywhere else, but we have to do a better job as diversity and inclusion practitioners of reading the room, understanding the environment that you're operating in. Yeah, there are days, Amy, I want to come in hot. I want to be like, yeah, racism exists, sexism exists, oppression exists, and I want to throw the data and the numbers at them, but that might not move the needle that day. You might not need to come in that hot, and I understand that in this environment that we work in, you have to really tailor the message in a way that's going to keep people at the table so that they can hear what you're saying, and we've tried to do that pretty intentionally. Now, there are still those who just don't think that this work should be happening. They're always going to be detractors. They're never going to meet you halfway. And I, we can't worry about those folks. We have to really try to get the ones who are a little neutral on it and pull them into the conversation. And being from Indiana, we have to read the room and we have to do it in a way that gets people on board. Yeah, I call those folks the botherable middle. They don't <laughs> yes, see yes. a problem, yes. but once they see it, they're willing to take action or they're willing to change their thinking or change their approach. Yes. And I think there are a lot of people in that botherable middle. Mm -hmm. if we can reach them in the right way. Something you said really spoke to me as a fellow practitioner, and that is that there's always this pull of people who think that you're trying to do too much, too mm -hmm. fast, mm -hmm. and people who don't think you're doing enough ever. Yep. And finding that balance day to day is such a challenge. It is. I think for all of us in this work, how do you deal with that? Yeah, there's a couple ways. First and foremost, I take my job very seriously, but I try really hard not to take it personally because as diversity practitioners, 
when you're hearing all of this noise from the outside, it can really hurt your feelings sometimes. And you start to question yourself and the work that you're doing. And you're like, am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? That's the first thing. I just try not to take it personally. The second thing is I go back to what was I asked to do by this administration? What did the governor ask me to do coming into this role? And I measure my success based on what my boss has said. What does my boss ask me? Have I accomplished that? Am I on track? And that really helps me to keep my eyes focused on the end game. This is what we want to accomplish as a state. And the third thing is, and I tell people this all the time, I have to have a really good core of folks around me that can help me when I have to go in and I have to really talk through some of these challenges. And I can say, do you think I'm doing enough here? And they will give me sound feedback. I don't have yes people around me. I have people around me that will say, yeah, no, you're not doing enough right now and you need to do more or you're doing too much. Maybe you need to scale it back a little bit. I keep those types of people around me professionally and personally, and that helps keep me grounded and on the right track. But as, as long as the governor and his team are like, you're on track with what we asked you to do, and the people around me are keeping me honest to what I'm supposed to do, I feel pretty good about it. I think you should. I think you're doing some amazing stuff. I want to talk about the results of some of your initiatives. You mentioned um, that you had basically a 96% would recommend score uh, from your um, Next Level Teams initiative. Can you talk a little bit about the results of your climate survey? Not the findings necessarily. What were you able to do with that data? What transformation was possible? Yeah, so with our climate survey, we touched on a number of different points. It was a big undertaking, and we looked at an inclusion KPI, which just really gave us a key performance indicator of what inclusion looks like for the state of Indiana. That was at 71% overall. So we were actually doing pretty good with our inclusion overall. We looked at inclusive leadership for the state and how are our leaders creating cultures of inclusion. That was at 59%, not terrible, but not great. And that let us know that we have some opportunities here. The other thing we looked at is specifically like direct managers. What's the inclusive score for direct managers? And that was actually pretty high. It was 77. And we were really happy with that because what we found there is that people were thinking about leadership as in overarching the folks that maybe two two levels away. But when they talk about their direct supervisor, it sounds like folks are having a really good experience. And so that was really awesome. We looked at uh, fair processes. How, how do people feel about the processes within the state, whether that's promotions or opportunity to get on committees, whatever that is, there was a number of different things included in that. That sat at 59%. And so we we know there that we have some work to do because I think our processes are really good, but maybe we're not communicating them in the right way. Maybe we're not giving people enough detail. We're not as transparent as we should be. And then we looked at inclusive teams. How are people feeling about the teams that they work with? 74% thought my team's pretty inclusive. I, I feel pretty good about that, which was really a, a good score. Still some work to be done. The almost second to last was psychological safety, which is really important to me, especially as a woman of color, because there have been so many studies out by a number of different McKinsey and all these different people who have done these studies where women of color really struggle with psychological safety in the workplace. That score was uh, 69%, not as high as we'd like for it to be, but much stronger than what I thought. And I was really pleased with that. And then individual buy-in, really, how are the people who are taking this survey, how are they buying into this this thought of diversity, equity, and inclusion, inclusive workplace? It was at about 62%, where some of them felt like they could be doing more. Like, this is them really scoring themselves on 
I don't really do as much as I, I, I should be doing with inclusion or diversity. And so that was very telling. We had about almost a 40% response rate on this survey. Now, mind you, we've never done this survey before. We have 30,000 employees. We were right under 12,000 people responded. That's a really great number. And so this was data that was pretty substantive for us. And those are the scores. That was the overarching scores. But then each agency, we have the specific breakdown. And Joseph saw where there were some that were struggling a little bit more than others. And so he tailored those action plans to those agencies. And only time will tell if we're able to really move the needle on some of these scores with these action plans. But those were the key indicators that we looked at for this, this survey. It's really important to have that broad data to yeah. say, okay, where are we benchmark-wise? I'm guessing, though, that you didn't stop with, oh, we're 71, we're good. I'm guessing you dove in a little deeper. How does this split out across race? Yeah. How does it split out across gender? How does it split yeah. out across office location or right. job level? Yeah. Did you find anything in there that surprised you that you'd be willing to share? There were quite a few things that surprised me, not willing to share just because I don't <laughs> want to put any agency on the spot or anything like that. But there were some things that definitely surprised me specifically around opportunity. So fair process, there's specific groups that really that score was lower for those groups mm. than others. And I'm wondering, is it the way we're communicating things or is it because visually certain people just aren't seeing themselves in these opportunities when they become available? And so we have to dig into that a little bit more in some of our agencies. I think the other thing that was, it was surprising to me because I feel like we do have really good inclusive leadership at the top because I know the people at the top and I'm with the people at the top, um, that inclusive leadership score was low. And I was surprised at how low that was versus inclusive managers, right? And there were some agencies that really stood out. There's, um, which those agencies shall remain nameless. But what that did was that gave us some ammunition for Joseph to sit down with those agency heads and say, let's drill into this a little bit more and figure out what's going on here. Is it that you're, you all aren't being transparent enough with what you are doing to create inclusion? Or maybe you're not doing enough. And we need to think about that too. That's about as deep as I'll go into it. But there were definitely some demographics that I was like, okay, we got to do some work here with this group. That makes total sense. Thank you yeah. for being as transparent as you can be. As I think about the work that you're doing, and I think about where we are in the state, what do you see as next um, in terms of the evolution of this work for the governor's office? And how do you think that might change as administrations change over time? Yeah, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. The Holcomb administration, all in on this, but I don't know who's going to be next, and I don't know what type of administration is coming in. I am concerned that this work might not continue under a new administration, and I think that would be very disappointing for our employees, but also for our partners across the state who have really partnered with us and bought into this work. We would love for there to be a continuation of this beyond the Holcomb administration. Now, I'll be very honest. I came to work for Governor Holcomb and his team. So even if a new governor wanted to continue this work, I would certainly recommend someone. And I'd love to be a part of the process of finding someone to do it, but it wouldn't be me. But I, I am concerned that this might not continue beyond 2024 because I don't know who the next governor is going to be. What I do know, though, is that we have ingrained this so deep into the fabric of our state agencies, many of whom will continue this work even if our team is not here because they now see the importance of it. We've really helped them set up their own structure so much so that almost every one of our largest top agencies now have their own DEI officer within the agency. And that happened because this role was created, this office was created. We helped set the position descriptions for those agencies. So even if we go away, 
those positions are now embedded into those agencies, which I think is really important. So it is difficult to steer a very large ship yes. in a new direction very quickly. But if you can put all of the right rudders in place, you can keep it on track for yeah. a very long time. Thanks. Chief Officer Herring thank, Herring, thank you so much for yeah. your time today. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us and giving us a little peek behind the curtain as to what's going on in our state government and my state government, not everyone yeah. <laughs> that's listening, <Yeah. laughs> but uh, in the state government and how this work matters for Hoosiers and for the folks in leadership and that serve our communities. Thank you for having me. And I just want to say thank you to you for elevating this work for listeners to hear about this work. What you're doing is critical. And those of us that are diversity practitioners in the space, we really appreciate the platform to share the really good things that are happening. So kudos and thank you to you, Amy. <laughs> thank you so much. That's so sweet. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, follow Lead at any level on LinkedIn and YouTube. Then join us for Including You video simulcast every Thursday at noon Eastern. Including You can also be enjoyed each week as part of the Living Corporate Audio Podcast Series, available on all major podcast platforms. Learn more at living-corporate.com. Including You is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a boutique training and consulting firm improving employee engagement and retention for companies that promote from within. Lead at Any Level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. Lead at Any Level and its logo are registered trademarks of Lead at Any Level LLC. The views and opinions of guests on our show do not necessarily reflect the positions of Lead at Any Level, Living Corporate, or the sponsors of Including You. That's it for this week's episode of Including You. Be sure to join me next week when my guest will be Sonia Thompson of Thompson Media Group.